Josh, Josh Martin knows all about the hustle. Or he kind of knows how the hustle is. And he knows how important... Oh, I've got to wait for that plane to go. Come on, plane. Get out of my podcast, plane. I'm a fine new plane and I'm going to hunt you. I'm going to hunt you down, plane. I'm going to put it in a bag and I'm going to take it to town. Uh, I should probably do this now. It's time for podcast. Yes, it's time for podcast. It's a time for podcast time. Oh, it's such a good time. Oh, it's such a fun time. Oh, it's such a podcast time. That's right. It's time for podcast. It's time for podcast. Do I know what I'm actually saying here? My name is Michael John Oliver, and this is episode one of To Londoner, a podcast about New Zealanders doing interesting and exciting stuff in the belly of the beast, better known as London. So in a previous life, I worked as a farming journalist. And then a little bit before that, I was a sports journalist. And a little bit before that, I kind of pissed around in student journalism, as you do. But now I'm over here, trying to ply my trade as a journalist in the most competitive and intense news environment in the world. And here's the thing, it's not easy. It's certainly by no means guaranteed that Kiwis are going to come over here and land themselves a job. In fact, I would go on record as saying, it's nigh on impossible. But guess what, dreamers? It can happen for you. And I spoke to two New Zealand journalists who went through hell to land themselves a job in London, but came out good on the other side. You may remember Alex Hazelhurst's column in the New Zealand Herald. And if you don't remember it, uh, let, me, uh, let me give you a little bit of a, what do you call it, uh, something, to, something to refresh the memory, rejig it, kick it up a notch. Uh, she was the, the journalist who was blonde, and uh, blonde, and uh, blonde, and ooh, she was pretty blonde, and blonde, and she couldn't get a job even though she was blonde, and it was like, what the hell, man, come on, she's blonde, why can't blonde people get blonde jobs in blonde London, what is, what is wrong with this blonde city? In fact, that's not really the case. She wrote a piece advising Kiwis on how to make do when coming over to this uncompromising and unfriendly place. And the thing is, she kind of got torn to shreds about it. So I thought, Alex, why did you come to Old to Londoner and tell us your story? Why did you come here? What were you hoping to achieve? And are you going to stay? I'll never forget it, actually. I came... I staying at my, on my friend's couch um, out by Heathrow and had a shower and went to sleep and then literally got onto job sites straight within hours. It wasn't so much the flat for me, it was really finding that job. And so then I just spent a week, a few days turned into a week and then a week turned into two weeks just trawling job sites, trying to set up meetings with people at Sky News and ITV and BBC and all that, you know, it was just hounding people over email, um, trying to use as many contacts that I've been given from back home. And it took me 11 emails to get one, 11 emails over six weeks to get one shadow shift at ITV. 
I think as a Kiwi, you think, oh, four emails should be enough. Surely they've got the message by four or surely they've got the, the message by six or eight. But no, 11 emails. And that was really outside of my character and really outside of, I think, that Kiwi nature of just hounding someone and just saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, just take notice of me. And I, I got really down and I, I got quite depressed after about five months of just not, I was still working on reception, just temp work. And I was being treated like an absolute piece of something under someone's shoe on, on reception and answering phones. I just thought, I've got this huge student loan back home. I've got this amazing degree and I've worked my butt off for four years. Why is nothing happening for me? This is, you know, five months, uh, you know, of every day of, of trying, to, trying to get some kind of foot in the door. How close did you come to going back to New Zealand? Oh my gosh, I remember talking to my mum and just saying, just bawling my eyes out and just going, oh, I just can't do this anymore. You know, why is this not working? You know, I've just got no money. And, you know, I took over, well, everyone says take over 10,000 New Zealand dollars, which is what I did. But once you, <laughs> once you spend three or 4,000 of that on a flat, oh, with de you know, your bond and your deposit and your two months up front or whatever it is, and then plus your travel around London, I mean, that money just goes like that. It's just absolutely gone. So I have no money. I was, I, my relationship was failing. I had no, <laughs> I had no job or no job that I wanted to be in. I had friends who were going to Italy and had all this money because it was bordering on summer now going oh Alex do you want to come to this festival and that festival and we're going to you know going to the south of France and staying here and I just thought oh my goodness would I be better off getting on that plane going back to Auckland knowing I can get a job back home then you realize it's about relationships everyone is here because they know someone <laughs> and once you realize that you're like okay let's try and really create and cultivate some relationships. I finally got an email back saying we'd like to interview you and as soon as I got that FaceTime, as soon as I was in front of someone saying I will do the best job I possibly can do, it was all smooth sailing. It's just getting yourself in front of someone. That is the hardest thing by far. That was one of the things you touched on in the the piece you wrote about yeah. uh, living in London. Looking back on that and the response that that got back home, Yeah. how do you feel about it? So that, that time was a really, if I'm to be completely candid with you, um, that time was really rough, really, really rough for me. Um, I didn't leave the house for three days. I had no idea how cutting, nasty and tragic social media can be. I did that. I wrote that in the hope of helping people and just sending a message to say, hey, and that's what we do as journalists. Hey, here's the message. This is what I'm going to tell you my story. And hopefully there's a message within that, that A, we need to do something. And B, for when you come over, just be prepared that, that this is how the landscape of London is now. I went to a bar that Friday night after it was published and I got a, had a man come up to me, go, you're that man, man, man. I won't say it on, on air, but you are that blah, 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 blah. Um, who wrote that, blah, 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 and what do you, th I'm a, I'm a bricklayer, you don't know anything, and blah, 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 and I said, okay, 
and can you be more than a bricklayer? And he said, well, I want to be in politics. And I said, but you're a bricklayer. And he said, yeah, because I can't get a job doing what I want to do. I said, you've just proved my point. You have been forced to be a bricklayer in London because you can't do what you want to do. And he just said, oh, well, you sounded really dumb in that article and you're not that dumb. And I just thought, and he, he was about to throw his drink on me. He was that, that, there was a group, he was shouting and there was a group who had gathered around us just watching him scream at me. I had tears forming in my eyes because this is a Friday night and I wanted to have a glass of wine after the week I'd had and I just got absolutely <laughs> vilified by this guy. And then he kind of came round after about 20 minutes and he realised what I was trying to say. I just don't agree with the argument that everyone should move overseas and work in a coffee shop. I just don't agree with that. But what I'm saying is that if you want to work in the industry you want to work in, you're up against a lot more people. And that's the response wasn't exactly what I wanted. However, in saying that, the number of people that contacted me through LinkedIn, which is a huge professional network, who just said, Alex, I completely understand. I was high up in head office in retail um, in New Zealand and now I'm on the shop floor on Regent Street. There was a guy who who actually messaged me about 10 years. 10 years. He would, he'd been here for 10 years. And he said, Alex, you speak so much truth in your article because that attitude of Kiwis working hard, well, that went out the window when two pound pints went out the window. Well, now you pay, what, five, yeah. six, five, six pounds for a pint? He goes, a lot of what people remember of London is gone. And all those people who say, oh, I walked into a job. It's a totally different landscape now. And and he, he's now very high up in, in sales and marketing. But he said, it's noticeably different. He said, I'm done. I'm moving my family back to New Zealand and and then that's me. But it is a completely different city than it was 18 years ago. And I and I just, it was just someone hearing from someone like that was just enough to, to go, I'm not making this up. And I think now almost a year on since I've since I've written that, you've seen the government put even more pressure on this visa and more rules on this whole, you know, Kiwis and Aussies and stuff. And I just think, I think people are starting to realise, okay, hey, Kiwis aren't getting the greatest time in London that they used to. Josh Martin is an interesting character. He's the kind of guy who knows how to hustle his way into a job, not just any job, a nice, sweet editor job in one of the city's premium free newspapers. So I asked him, what's your secret? How did you get here? And will you end up going back home? I knew it was going to be hard, and I had hoped that I might be able to fluke it. Yeah, it was a massive pain in the ass. It was a, a big wake-up call, and it just made me very aware of like the deficiencies in my in my CV. And it was yeah, it was it was deflating. Like as much as I knew it was not going to be easy, even compared to uh, other new arrivals who come over here in other industries, I always knew the media industry was going to take you know months to find something there wasn't necessarily easy routes unless you knew people um, and having spent a little bit of time at TVNZ 
I kind of like there seems to be some sort of trapdoor or, or tunnel between TVNZ and the BBC and I kind of got a couple of contacts and perhaps didn't hustle as much as I should have or you know like come for a coffee and then it doesn't work out and then you try and reschedule and you're going back and forth on email when you probably should just call them eventually it was just yeah settling for a job that I didn't really want it was a business to business trade magazine or association magazine to do with accounting technician something called an accounting technician do you still know what that means? Uh, I, don't, I was trying to figure out what the difference between an accountant and an accounting technician is. Because I kind of think of technician as in like lab technician or someone, some, I don't know. It was, it was a, a, a lovely place to work out in Ladbroke Grove, but it was so evident that it just wasn't my thing and I didn't want to be doing it. And as soon as I got an opportunity to work for a startup, radio station called share radio which is like business and money and stuff somewhere that i knew a little bit about uh i kind of had to like push and push with the editor and try and get an interview with him and call up the owner and try and hustle them into into taking me on and i think it's only because i kind of annoyed them so much compared to everyone else that they decided to you know I, the editor took me for like a beer and a burger and we and we chatted and it was only after that that i was like okay i don't have to eventually figure out what an accounting technician is i don't have to kind of go all the way out to queen's park each day and and try and you know care about yeah just things i don't know writing about it's really hard to sometimes write about stuff that you just have no not only that you don't know it but you don't you don't want to know you don't care at all so i was very grateful for my first job because london is very expensive and it was good to kind of just have like one entry on your CV that's not from Auckland, New Zealand. But as soon as soon as I kind of had a foot in the door at the radio station, I very happily kind of moved on. So where do you work now? I took a job only a few months after being at the radio station, as much as I've talked about how much I really wanted to do that. I took, I while I was, I have to go back a little bit, because while I was kind of hustling for that first job you would I would like open newspapers and and see who the editors were at places that I thought I could work at London has these uh, technically I think they're kind of called uh, free sheets which are the free newspapers that you get when you're kind of traveling from A to B and one of them is called City AM which is a business free sheet which is kind of the size of a tabloid but tries uh, tries and you know sometimes makes it to um, have really good quality non-tabloidy stuff in it. Uh, so I found out who the editor was and his name was David Hallier and I specifically like emailed and called him and just said I was new but keen to work. And so as I was kind of hustling around and, and getting sh shifts and going to interviews for accounting technician, uh, I also was doing a few shifts of reporting at City AM just very casually on some day rate that I made up that I thought I was worth. And it was at the time of the Scottish uh, independence referendum. So they were really, really busy. And, and so I was, I had to kind of jump in and pretend I knew anything, anything about, about the Scottish referendum and who these people were and why it was a big deal that they were saying this, that, and the other. 
Uh, and I managed to get a couple of contacts that some other of the reporters couldn't get on the phone. And I think that kind of impressed them enough to kind of call you back one more time and, and eventually kind of doing odd little shifts and pretending I was sick at another job, and uh, which is sometimes what you have to do as a freelancer. Eventually, their, their night editor left. A, a night editor is someone who kind of, or at least in our case, comes in at about mid-afternoon, has the big editorial meeting, plans out what's going to be in the newspaper and sees that through to fruition and, and factors in things like late-breaking news and um, developing stories and tries to make it as fresh as possible and as error-free as possible. And there's, they had had a string of a couple of crap night editors, apparently, and were looking uh, for someone. And so I did an interview of sorts and a couple of training shifts on that, and, and they took me on. And so at the moment, I uh, work four nights at City AM doing night editing, and then I have a Friday free where I do reporting for Share Radio. So I've tried to kind of balance it out, and it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't. What's it like working in a print office here in London compared to what it's like working for a, a newsroom back in New Zealand? It's a little bit... I suppose I'll compare it to something like the, the newsroom at, at Fairfax or Stuff up in Auckland, uh, which is obviously a national media title national media titles they've got under their brand and they cover a range of topics and so there's a range of kind of personalities in there we are city am is very much business but it's also very much like the city of london so it's like the finance center it's all law banking professional services uh just lots of lots of money and very pro pro money and very pro capitalism and so that's their focus. So they do have different focuses, but at the same time, I feel like the UK media compared to New Zealand media is far more outward looking in some ways. But I mean, we still have in in my in my newsroom. There's still like the tension between old school prints and and the web digital stuff, which is so so similar to the uh, business bureau or, or the wider. Fairfax newsroom, the traditional print journos who are slowly trying to get up up to speed with the, the website team and just in that way the parallels are very 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 similar. Perhaps the content is the biggest thing that that is the diff is the difference. I mean there's certain certain newsrooms in New Zealand and I mean it's because they've got to kind of keep everyone happy that they have to report on like just mindless crap. Uh, and luckily, at the moment, I'm in a newsroom that doesn't necessarily have to do that because our audience would hate that. <laughs> but but likewise, lots of people would are just not that interested in what I do because it's it's very it's, it's I suppose it's quite niche actually compared to yeah definitely compared to the rest of um, the rest of the UK media. Do you feel that your New Zealand experience has counted for anything over here? I pause to think about that. Uh, yes, I think it, it has. It hasn't as much as I thought it would. It hasn't as much as I thought it would, and I'm really, really grateful that I 
left TVNZ and even just got one year doing print business journalism because I think if I was relying on my TVNZ, like my TV experience, I think if I hadn't, I, I think I would have had to hustle even more if, if you're a TV or radio journalist from New Zealand. I think some of the print, the papers and stuff would keep their doors closed to you. I mean, I, this is kind of speculative. I definitely think having a little, a mix of experience, I mean, a little bit of TV stuff, a little bit of print stuff, just, just meant that you could point to something and just kind of knowing some macro stuff counted for something, I hope. I have a job, so I mean, it, it can't be, it can't have been that bad. Yeah, I often think, because I do look back on, on my jobs in New Zealand quite fondly, and I do really enjoy the time that I had in TVNZ. I, I do think uh, of my short stint at TVNZ and think of it really fondly, but I kind of counter that by thinking, you know, like if I stayed there even another year, which would have brought it to something like close to 18 months, and if that was the only experience I came over here with, I think I would have had to hustle really hard unless something amazing just popped up through a contact at, I don't know, B BBC or ITV or something. Because there are, there's just fewer outlets, whereas over here there's far more print and website options. So if you have that on your CV, that's obviously going to open a few more doors for you. That about wraps up the very first episode of To Londoner. Thank you very, 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 very much for listening. That was a hell of a lot of varies, but congratulations because you now have a free wish. Use it wisely. My thanks to Alex Hazelhurst and Josh Martin, plus Ed Swift and Mary Baines, who didn't make the final cut, but their interviews will be appearing on our Facebook page at To Londoner and on our Twitter page, which, funnily enough, is also called To Londoner. We may or may not have an Instagram account too called To Londoner. I just can't remember if I registered it or not. There is nothing short of professionalism up in this area. So tune in next time for more fun and frivolity in that town of calamity, chaos, and let's face it, good times. London City. Or London. London City. Well, not really the city, more like London, the whole thing. The M25. The, the, yep. Yeah, you've heard enough of me. I'll see you next time. Bye!